Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey everyone, welcome back to Education Suspended. Jessica Pfeiffer here. I have a brand new microphone at home here, so I'm not sure if I'm going to use it again because I think I sound way different but it's the only one I have tonight. So you're stuck with me sounding like this. So hopefully it's not throwing you off as much as it's throwing me off. Anyway, let's talk about today's guest. Extra special one today as we sit down with my cousin, Becky, who is a drama teacher. And I know that I reference musicals quite a bit, but I really enjoy this interview because even though I am biased, I think there's so much power in the arts and specifically in theater. So we really get to dive deep into Becky's work. She teaches us a lot and gives us some tangible components of her actor's toolbox that we can use in classrooms. She really highlights the power of the body, the voice, and the imagination as they're interconnected. And what does that mean for us as students and as educators? She also talks about fostering guidance and creating a community of learners and how that is done in this creative outlet of theater and in drama. So I've been hassling her for several years and we finally got her on. She's crazy busy. So Becky, thank you for joining us. It was such an honor to talk with you. All right, everyone, sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with my cousin, Becky. Have a good day at school. Stay kind and curious. Oh, man, that's quick. Wow. Hi. Well, Becky's always on time, so. Wow, <laughs> Becky, no one comes early. What? I tried. Heck? I tried. Hi, cousin. Hey, how's it going? No, you guys aren't cousins. We yeah. are. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Nothing better than two fifers in the same room. Talk <laughs> about education for days, right? I know. Well, Becky, thank you. I, I appreciate you doing this. I know I've been hassling you. Oh, yeah, no. I, I know I've had a busy schedule, so. I know we went over this, but we start all of our podcasts the same. So I'll have you introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell yeah. them what you do, how you got there. And then our favorite part is if you just take a few moments to reflect on your own educational experience and how that influences you now in any way. And then we'll jump in to a bunch yeah. of other stuff. But let's just start with that. So the oh. mic is all yours and have fun. All right. As you said, I'm Becky Arndt and Jessica's cousin, so it's awesome that we get to share this time to chat. Born and raised here in Racine, Wisconsin, I am a product of our public school system and teaching in it. I went to Horlick High School, go Rebels, and then on to UWM for my undergrad, which was an elementary education, and then I subbed for a year and a half back when it was really hard to find a job as a teacher. Then I taught sixth grade, social studies, reading language, a little bit of math for about seven years. During that time, I directed the musicals with some co-directors at our middle school. And then I found a position as a fifth grade classroom teacher at Fine Arts. It was both Fine Arts at the time. And when both Fine Arts merged with Gilmore Middle School to become a K-8 fine arts school. Then I moved into the role of drama teacher. So I am now teaching kindergarten through fifth grade drama at the elementary school level there. And um, 
yeah, this is going into my sixth year now in that position. So really been enjoying it. It's interesting coming from the perspective of being a classroom teacher and then moving into the specialist role. So I kind of have a little bit of a viewpoint from both sides. And I say that because sometimes in schools, it can feel very divided among staff that, you know, you've got different roles that you play and sometimes they don't always feel like they merge. But I think that's one of the biggest things that can be helpful to students and the school community is if we really work together. I'm finding that that is something to work on and also something that when it is working, it does go really well. Like, you know, I have a lot of examples of really great opportunities to collaborate with classroom teachers and specialist teachers, and it's been awesome. So, see, my own educational background. Yeah, let's get on to that. So, like I said, I have gone to Racine Unified Schools since I was in kindergarten. And that's where I really found that musical theater niche was in my you know, public school program. When I was in fifth grade, the middle school kids performed for us. And I was just like, I want to do that. You know, I want to be on that stage. That's what I want to do. So when I got to middle school, I inquired, how do I do? How do I get on stage? You know, and so first year auditioning, got in the chorus. Then when I was in eighth grade doing the productions there, the Harlick High School Choir came to our school to advertise their program. And then I said, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> so I, I really think it's great when the upper grades and upper schools come to demonstrate what they have available for programming for kids, because, you know, you don't really always know what's going to be available when you're in, you know, a different school and you're younger. So I joined the choir then going into high school. Unfortunately, at that time, our school did not do musicals. So uh, I didn't have the opportunity to continue with the musicals. However, I was pretty content with our choir program was really extensive. So we got to do madrigal dinners. We got to travel on tours. We were able to go to New York and sing in Carnegie Hall. We were able to go to Bulgaria and sing Easter Sunday program in the Capitol. We went to Puerto Rico my senior year. So all of these opportunities through public school programs and really through dedicated teachers that were willing to do that for their students. And so that was kind of to where I was like, that's what I want to do also after that. I want to be the teacher that gives students opportunities. It's a little bit of my journey. So when you said that you were doing all that traveling through through choir as mm-hmm. a public school entity, how much responsibility did families have to pay for part of those trips and how much recovered by schools? Because I think one thing that Steve and I have talked about is as we see a decrease in access to extracurricular activities, the mm-hmm. the, the gap and who's able to do some of that continues mm-hmm. to compound. And so I don't know what that was like for you at the time. Yeah. So the one wonderful thing is that our program was so established at the time that we had a number of fundraising opportunities, but there are also scholarship opportunities based on the even the parent organization that was created. So obviously schools have, you know, sometimes the PTA, but our own choir was so established that we had our own program, you know, fundraising booster type program through families and everything. So there was a lot of work for that. It really was, there was a year when we just, we had a higher need students. I believe it was my junior year. And our original plan was to go to Spain and Portugal. 
then when the numbers came down to it, that just trip wasn't as financially feasible for our program. So we did change gears and we went to something that we wanted to make sure everybody could go to learn from. And we went to Bulgaria. And of course, I think a lot of us as what sophomores, juniors, even maybe seniors had no idea, maybe possibly even where Bulgaria was. <laughs> but that was actually probably one of the most greatest opportunities, I should say, for us to learn really about culture because it was a culture we were not familiar with. And then we were able to have the Bulgarian choir that we went and, and stayed with as host families. They actually came here and did the same and we hosted them. So it was just an outstanding opportunity. And we were a family. We were a team. We were a choir. We all figured out how we could all go. I appreciate that. And I mean, even your own statement right there of it's it's some of the most it's like a core memory, like these things that really stand out for you as a student are part of often the extracurricular side of things. Not that like biology can't be a core memory, but I feel like more often than not, it's somewhere in the, sorry to all our biology teachers out there, but somewhere in the musical or sports or art world, which I don't think is just a coincidence. There's two kind of routes that I'd love to cover with you, Becky. One is just the the power of theater in schools, the power of using drama and not just drama class, like how can we learn about it in other ways as one area? And then I'd also like to pivot that you have such an expertise as a specials teacher. And I'm always intrigued in that because even when I'm doing school visits or, you know, systems audits of, of, of educational entities, I often say, you know, I want to talk to the specials teachers because they see all the kids for a lot of years. And sometimes they know the system and the ins and the outs and the behavioral challenges and the behavioral strengths better than other people in that building. So I want to go into that too. Absolutely. I use drama all the time as a classroom teacher. So I'm with this girl, you cousins. Okay. (laughs) I would like to know a little bit, just a teeny bit more about your school demographics. Some of the kids you're able to serve in a Mm -hmm. very unique program What kind of kids get opportunities to do this cool stuff? So the great thing is, is that we are a choice public school. So the way students attend our school is they do enter a lottery. We do also, though, have sibling preference. So the wonderful thing about our school is that if older siblings there, the younger siblings can attend as long as their student is still enrolled. The great thing is we do have a great family atmosphere, you know, like siblings are together. We are inner city public school, so we are rather diverse. I know I did think to look up our demographic breakdown for you, but sorry, I'm past that possibility right now. But I want to say we're probably estimating about 40% minority. We do have a strong Hispanic and Black population. And we are, our whole district, including our school, is a free lunch program and free breakfast program district. So we do have a low socioeconomic population. I enjoy a very diverse population at our school. And I think that gives us so much opportunity to really work with kids from all backgrounds and bring all different types, uh, you know, creativity, interests to our productions, our shows, our activities, everything. Let's hop into kind of from your perspective, if you if you wouldn't mind sharing with us 
what are some of the benefits? What are some of just the positive experiences that drama in in school, theater in school can can offer students? I and I, I do want to clarify: this is an actual class during the day, right? This is an extra right. outside. Right. So our students have dance, drama, art, and music. Yeah, four arts courses. They have one of each for forty-five minutes each day. And then they also have gym on top of that, but gym is on its own separate program. On Fridays, all of our students have an elective arts class that they select themselves. So they get a bonus and that's considered our performance time. So while they're learning the core skills during their once a week class of the arts, then on Friday, they also have 45 minutes where we use those skills purposefully towards performance. So it's kind of great that the kids really feel like they get to then kind of pick their favorite and then also shine in that area in their performance and showcase in the the case that's art. The benefits I see, cooperation, focus, the ability to see how they can put themselves out out there creatively, being accepted. I wrote a whole list. And it just kind of started going on forever. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, there isn't anything that this isn't helping a kid with in school. Some of the things I really see focused on in my class is this struggle I feel kids have with always being or having the right answer. And I feel like they struggle sometimes within the classroom. There's always kind of a right answer when it comes to many subjects, you know, like, In the math problem, you're trying to get this answer. And it makes it challenging for kids to guess or to think or to, you know, be outside of their own head and just being afraid of getting it right. And one of the things I feel like, especially in our improv unit, that our kids have to get over and then are skilled with at the end is this, you're saying I can kind of do anything right now and it's right. And then from the perspective of the students being an audience, whatever they do on stage is accepted, is a huge thing for these kids to build this community because it is a learning, you know, kids want to be overly critical of whether or not somebody else got the right or wrong answer sometimes. And it's sometimes a shock for kids observing to be like, oh, wait, I wouldn't have done it that way. That must not be right. But when we then understand, wait, we're looking at it through someone else's lens. We're looking at this creativity in somebody else's footsteps and the empathy also builds too. And all of a sudden you have this huge community of learners that allow each other to make mistakes. They allow each other to be creative. They allow each other to be supported when someone is struggling and they step in. It's amazing to see kids when they are putting on a little play on stage and somebody forgets their line. And someone will, no matter what, do something in some way. And a lot of times I teach them, you know, don't just tell them the answer, you know, instead of telling them the line, because, you know, I don't want it to look like you're saying the line. I want it to look like they're saying the line. What could you say to help them trigger that? what their line is. And then all of a sudden they're fostering this ability to guide each other through what they're learning. And that comes through so often 
where we learn to not just tell people what to do or tell others what to do. We learn how to work as a team to guide each other to our end goal. I know that's probably like a lot (laughs) in a few statements, but you just, you live it every day with kids when we're struggling to figure out what everybody's job is, what everybody's role is, how everybody contributes with different backgrounds. And we still are able to put on, in our case, a show, a production and support each other. And realizing that there is this really like, oh, I have to learn my lines. I have to pull my weight. I have to support my team for this one show. Brings kids to step up in a way I don't think they always do in other situations when they're not given this opportunity. Jessica and I have often on our our podcast talked about attachment and kind of active attachment. And with, with the diversity of your population, I'm guessing there's trauma evident kids who have not had that kind of attachment experience we wish they had. How does that happen? I'm guessing it happens. Oh yeah. Um, how does it happen in in your program where kids getting the opportunity to shoulder to shoulder with others and find their way to attaching to pe- you you leaders but also to each other in ways that it maybe wouldn't have happened. Yeah, you know, when you give a child the opportunity to do and be the best at something that they're interested in doing, there is no greater connection there because they see that you are putting your trust in them to be able to succeed at something that they might not even be sure they can do. And it's that level of trust and understanding and support that. You know, the encouragement that I continue to give when a child is struggling that I know that I know that they struggle or if they're they're not feeling like maybe they fit in or they're not feeling like maybe they can do the, you know, the role that we're we're working on, that level of encouragement that helps them build that confidence of, you know, I picked you for this. I always, you know, tell them, you know, I picked you for this role because this is something I know and I can see you have the ability to do and something I can see you being great at. And when they just know that you think they can be great, they will be. They they are every time. Even up until the rehearsal before, I'll tell you, there's days the rehearsal before I'm sitting there going, gosh, is this kid really going to be able to do it? Like They haven't done it right yet. But... (laughs) And then inevitably, you get their parents in front of them, which is a huge boost right there. You get an audience in front of them, people there that are there to see them, and they shine. They've, 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 always, they've always had that chance to shine, and they, they step up to it. And I'm imagining like their capacity to do that is not, not just based on right what you're highlighting, which is your constant encouragement as essentially their caregiver in that space, but also because of that fostering of community and that guidance that they have from their peers, it's, it is creating that safe environment in, in an environment that a lot of people would assume isn't safe because there is that, you know, you're in front of everybody. It's public speaking. Yeah, there's Mm -hmm. risk. And so just that constant environmental elements that you set up Mm -hmm. lead to that success. That's a huge yeah. thing among the students. Like when we, when I cast parts of a performance, you know, like I'm obviously very conscientious of 
how I cast it. And this is also something that goes into being a specialist teaching teacher and seeing these kids for years. I know where their growth is from kindergarten through fifth grade. So I set them up for success. You know, if it's a student that maybe has a difficulty reading or is challenged with staying lines, I'm going to give them a character that I think they can be a great character regardless. You know, it's, it's not going to matter if they're going to struggle with lines or anything like that. I'm setting them up for something that they can do and contribute towards the performance to make it great. And I tell them that specifically. There's some students I'll say, you know, like, I just want you to know your character doesn't have that many lines. However, I purposefully gave you this character because I know you have the comedic timing. I know that you have the expression. I know that you have this. And that will be highlighted in your performance. And that makes students feel seen. Like, here, she knows I'm funny. She knows I'm great, you know, on stage. She knows I can do this. And it also makes them feel like they are able to contribute, even if there's a perceived weakness in what they might do. So it's very intentional. Yeah, I like that. And it's, it's reminding me, and we're at a time in our lives as family members that right now we're only seeing each other at funerals or at weddings, which we always see each other and we're like, we got to do better. But unfortunately, right. the last time that you and I were face to face was when COVID was coming down and we were at my aunt's, but your grandma's funeral. You made a comment about your role at the time because I was checking in with you. It's like, hey, how are you doing? How is school? And you indicated that this drama class is actually helping these kids heal and deal with the stress that had been COVID. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? A hundred percent. One of the big things that I work on is drama skills and tools is our actor's tools. And so a lot of it has to do with using your body, your voice, and your imagination to connect with an audience, to connect with your peers on stage, and to bring that character alive of whatever you're performing. And one of the biggest things that we that was challenging during COVID was facial expressions and the recognition of facial expressions to infer what a person's emotional state was. It was interesting how much we lacked that skill as students and as, as people when we were wearing masks so much. So that was a, a big focus for a while there is, okay, look at their face. Everybody give an angry face, give a happy face. We went through so many, think of emotions and practiced being able to read that on people's faces and their body language helped bring a connection between the students and each other be, that we hadn't had in person for so long. So we were starting to be back in person and now we could really see the, the kids that were little in first grade, second grade, you know, they hadn't had much experience in a classroom at all, if any. And uh, especially interacting and trying to read people it, with something as adults that we might just naturally do now. But we we learned that, you know, as we were growing up and in school. So it was a focus on it because that was the nature of my class. And uh, really being able to be creative in our improv and pantomimes Kids were just dying to like be able to interact with each other. So giving them a task and um, allowing them to just be creative. My pantomime unit isn't scripted. And it's the first unit we do because oftentimes kids come into the year a little hesitant to use their voices yet in expression. That's a very vulnerable thing to do. 
So we start with body language and using our pantomimes to react with each other. It's, it's one step that just opens you up so much. And uh, that was it was big to really be able to spend time focusing on that, understanding other people and being creative and working together again was it was a big deal. Jessica knows I'm going to ask this question. I already can tell. You're in a specialist school. I'm guessing the things you are doing are very welcomed. For our for our listeners who can listen to you and just pick up on your enthusiasm for the value of all you do, and they and they are saying, yeah, but yeah, but at my school. So any suggestions for that the typical classroom teacher like Mr. Grain or English teacher who said, I would like to infuse some of these ideas into my own classroom. And not that you can give us a ton of ideas, but just talk about that. Like there's always a place maybe. Sure, for sure. And my focus is uh, really on the actor's tools that I use. It's our actor's toolbox. And it's something I, it's it's really how I do start the year. Um, And then we go through, like I said, with pantomime and using those tools. And the actor's tools are body, voice, and imagination. You know, anybody in education knows that your kids are going to learn things multiple different ways, and those core memories are going to get put in there based on an experience. So anytime you can use your body to express what you're learning, anytime you can use your voice, and of course, anytime that they're able to be creative and use their imagination, those are all drama tools that I'm sure really great, passionate teachers out there are already using and they don't really consider it drama, but it really is. It's, that's where the, that foundation is. So anytime you can think about expressing a story, expressing what they're learning and storytelling from a child's point of view is such a great opportunity. Like I said, I start out with the body. So how can kids express their feelings? How can kids express a story, even a scene? role-playing just through using their body, no voice whatsoever. There's so many opportunities for that to be applicable in the classroom. Get kids moving, we know, helps them learn and think. So being able to use your body, I use it through pantomime, and it really connects them. I also use tableaus, just students creating a scene, frozen, statue-like. And I have my older kids, they uh, actually even choose one of the threes, uh, Three Little Pigs, Goldilocks and the Three Bears or one of the stories, and then they create a whole story digitally and they take pictures of themselves. They write the story, they narrate it, the whole thing. And it's, it's really, I mean, you can, you're able to use their um, comprehension skills, reading skills, basic storytelling skills. And then when we advance to voice, we get into storytelling and expression and really being able to um, share your ideas and your thoughts and your characterization which of course is huge in reading. And it's a great way as a teacher to see if kids are able to understand what, what parts of a story are through allowing them, allowing them to storytell themselves. So if you really want to get into um, parts of a story and character, you know, there's nothing greater to me than having the kids make up their own. And I actually have them express that through puppetry. They create their own stories and then they make puppets. I do it at different levels. My favorite is the kindergartners. So yes, kindergartners can tell their own stories and they can act them out with puppets. They absolutely love it. I use the um, Cinderella story. I've taken different cultural Cinderella stories from all over the world. 
and we read a different one each session. And then we come up with who's this, the character that's most like our traditional Cinderella. Who's the, kin the characters that's most like our stepsisters or stepmother? Who's most like the prince? And in different cultures, they're all different people. And some are male and some are female and some are, you know, animals or creatures. And, and then they make their own. So they're required to make a Cinderella-like character. I always make it be myself because I want to be in the story. So, you know, and I, I encourage them to put themselves somewhere in their own story and then come up with what are their prince characters like? I like to have a dragon or a pet of some kind and, and being able to put then characters that they add to the story that are usually from their own life. And then they make these popsicle stick puppets and then they have about two minutes. I have the prompts that I know I'm going to ask them when they're up there. So if they are, if they struggle with verbal skills, verbal communication, if they struggle with even just the stage fright of doing it, I have prompts. I have assistance. Sometimes they just hold their puppet. They feel comfortable with that. Sometimes I hold the puppet and they say the word. You know, there's uh, so many ways that I have always had 100% success in a child telling their own story with their own characters and they're five, six years old. It's just how you set it up so that everyone can succeed and so that everybody feels heard and seen. A classroom teacher could, could use those same types of things. And that just sparks then their imagination, their creativity. And if you just encourage and foster that, you get wonderful results. You know, we applaud everyone's story. So everyone's encouraged, everyone's a success. We all see everyone as being successful. It's just that good reminder. And not that all activities are not like this, but I do think there's something special about that that drama environment that, like you said, that choir environment that everyone's really typically able to come and be themselves and just even have that that level of self-expression, which is just so, so awesome to have. I would love to know how the parents somehow get involved. How does this relate? to the parents and their view of school, possibly depending on what their schooling was like, um, are they able to be in, engaged? So um, all of our performances that we have, we have grade level performances that the, all the families come and the kids perform first for the school as like a dress rehearsal. So that's an awesome opportunity because all of the kids get to watch and support their other classmates of a grade level performing. And then all families come. We are fortunate enough where we do have, I think, an, a, a large group of families that are just into wanting to be part of the school. And I, I think most every parent, you know, they want their child to have a great educational experience and they want to be able to share in that. So we have a lot of parents that will come and help support our, you know, ask if we need help with costumes, ask, ask if we need help with set or anything like that. So we do have a large population of families that will just, Every time we have a show, they'll contact us. We'll contact them to come and and um, and participate in supporting the kids. Uh, also, I do record everything that we do, and then allow that to be shared with the families that of the students. That that comes up a lot because I know most of our performances happen during the day at the end of the school day, and I know a lot of families can't always take off of work and that kind of thing and miss those opportunities. I know a lot of the kids too. You know, like they know, and they'll tell me they're like. My parent works and they can't come to the show. And I know they worry about that. And I always encourage them. I'm like, it will be recorded. It will be shared. Your parent will be able to see you. And 
that is a big deal. You know, I mean, it, it's a big deal to be able to see what they're performing and what they're doing and for the kids to be able to know that a parent can see what success they've had. So we always do both um, live and recorded performances and share it with the families. So it helps. Obviously, there's that parent piece, but I think one thing that you were saying in the beginning, right, is that you've experienced not just a position in education as a, tr- a traditional classroom teacher, but now you've pivoted and you and you see kids regularly. Are there suggestions? Are there things that come to mind that can be helpful? Because I don't think it is abnormal that there is that division, that there is that silo, like we're a very siloed system. So there are things that have c- come to mind for you that could that could help that. Yeah, the the hardest thing is um, always feeling like you're kind of in your lane sometimes, like this is my lane of teaching and this is where, you know, what I'm doing. And you don't want to be maybe a burden or you don't even know how to approach, you know, another teacher. And it's something I always put out there right away in the beginning of the year, especially when we get close to parent-teacher conferences. I put out there right away any of my coworkers, classroom teachers, that want to have my perspective or even have me attend the parent-teacher conference with them so that we have both voices sharing with the family of where we want to go and what we want to do with their student to help them be successful. It's putting myself out there first to say, if you need my support, if you want to know where I'm coming from, I'm always willing and open to give it. And then also asking your colleagues for their expertise. And, you know, there's definitely some things like The one thing about being at a fine arts school is we do attract, of course, teachers that are intrigued in the program or interested in the arts themselves. And so some come from doing theater in their background or do art at home and that kind of thing. So it's great to be able to say, well, what kind of things do you do in your classroom? Our third grade teachers, they have a unit that's script reading in their their curriculum. So it's great because So often she'll say, yeah, I asked them this question. They said, Miss Art said this or (laughs) that kind of thing. And then we find a way where we can work together. The challenge is always then once you find that that opportunity, putting in the work to be able to use it and take advantage of the opportunity. It's hard when our schedules are also opposite, because generally speaking, of course, when they're in the regular classroom, I have a different class. And then when their class comes to me, and I'm working with them, they're doing something else or, you know, they're on their prep getting ready for their classes. So I, I do think it's really, it is the, the logistical challenge that becomes the barricade more often than the staff wanting to work together or having that opportunity there. You know, several of the schools that I work with, I even, and I'd be curious if you think that's a good idea, but I go as far as to say, even like on a systems MTSS team, like have someone that teaches a specials be in that team, like someone that can bring a different perspective about the student's ability outside of what we would consider that traditional academic setting. And it's not always the case, but I often see kids do better, as you were saying, in in the art classes, in the music classes, in the physical education drama, th- their behaviors at times can be less. And so I just think it's important to have a different lens from that tier two perspective when you're thinking about and you're looking at data, is it, is it an accurate representation truly across the board? Well, I fully agree because also one of the insights, especially in drama specifically, that I find I gain rather quickly is I'm able to see the student's 
perceived weaknesses right away because I asked them to do things in front of everybody. I mean, that's just the nature of it. We're doing it in front of everybody. And obviously, it's because I'm queuing into specifically body language and specifically what their maybe avoidance is towards in the goals that I'm seeing. I can see right away usually where the child, the child is most nervous about putting themselves out there. And that insight, you know, is something right now I'm working on specifically with kids that are a bit older who have come to us later who are non-readers and yet not necessarily with, you know, a specific IEP or anything, you know, coming from us from other districts or schools or such and seem to have missed a gap. I mean, COVID probably had a lot to do with that. So, you know, how do we now get that gap filled? And oftentimes I see it right away being the drama teacher because I'm asking them to do things maybe they can figure out how to hide more easily in the classroom um, that the teacher might not see right away. And it, it can be anything from their social, you know, like, oh, I see this child struggles really more because of their lack of confidence with their peers or specifically certain peers or their skill set. You know, sometimes it's it sticks out right away if uh, a student is a non-reader or if a student struggles with thinking quick on their feet. I see that right away because that's what I'm asking them to do. And I recognize right away the behaviors that they might use in order to cover that up. That dialogue and conversation uh, luckily does come up quite often when students maybe do have a, uh, a meeting of maybe an IEP nature or even just a conference or something that's coming up with that, those different tiered students that need extra support. So working with support staff, specialists, you do need every head you know, that sees the child at different spots and times in their day that can also offer that support in what their, str- their strengths are because fostering those strengths will help them build up that weakness that they that they see. Sometimes I do wish that there was more opportunity to be in on the conversation. It's it's like you said there's systems in place sometimes that do just make it a struggle. I'm going to piggyback on that just cuz you get a for lack of a better word a longitudinal look at kids that might last for 5 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would guess that also applies to you know their parents. Mm-hmm. potentially for five years. How, maybe even a story, I don't, or an example, or how has that been valuable? Because oh. I, I think we as classroom teachers mm-hmm. might not recognize the clear value in, in being able to m- kind of mine that knowledge that you sure. have because of the time you've had. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you're, you're always going to have that one student that struggles somehow, maybe acts out, maybe, you know, is challenging to get to be part of the group, challenging to have feel fit in with their peers. And, you know, I had such a student that I started working with the student in first grade. And um, as the student is coming along, there was a complete refusal to go up on stage or a complete refusal to put themselves out vulnerable in front of everyone. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that you work on try to find small things, uh, parts that maybe don't have lines, parts where he just walks with his best friend or things that they, the child can do so that they're taking baby steps and they don't really realize it. Helping with the set or helping with props or being just in charge of something that interests them. And 
As the years went on, by the end of fourth grade, the last day of school, I'll never forget it because uh, it's the last day of school. So we're doing fun improv games. The kids can just come up on stage, essentially, take a turn and just say whatever they want. School appropriate is our rules. But, you know, they can kind of come up and do whatever. And the last day of school, fourth grade, the student came up on stage for the first time ever on their own and then said whatever, you know, tell the joke, whatever, got off stage. It was 30 seconds. To me, it was huge. It was a milestone of something we've been working on since first grade that this child I don't even know realized, you know, that I'd been baby stepping the student towards this. Come to find out now fifth grade, the child signs up for drama for me to be their performance class. So now the child's going to have to perform on stage. And I was a little apprehensive. I don't show that to them, but I'm like, okay, you only got on stage one time last year and it was the last day of school. How am I going to foster this momentum that now had a whole summer in between? And fortunate friends were also in the class over that many time, that amount of time. Luckily, our population doesn't, uh, isn't as transient as many because being a choice school, no matter where the child moves within the district, they stay at our school. So even among all the movement that families might have, they do have a constant of our school. So it does foster a lot of great relationships and build some trust. And uh, by the end of the year of fifth grade, we were able to put on a small production of Alice in Wonderland. And of course, this, this character now was a character, said lines, had a whole role, paired up with somebody too that I didn't even think like wasn't, you know, it was a person that wasn't a best friend. It was, a, you know, a, another student in the class that, you know, you would have thought that was a yin and yang kind of situation. How did that happen? And the growth there that, okay, it might have seemed simple. The student didn't have very many lines. It wasn't a big thing. So maybe somebody not knowing would come and see this performance and think that that kid had such a minor role. But understanding where that student went from first grade to fifth grade. And as you talked about the communication and role with parents, that parent I know had had more than their share of negative phone calls over the course of this child's school career. Students still had issues in my class. It's not like it was like perfect and wonderful. And every day now, this was just a different child. So I did have to contact the parents about a struggling day, you know, a day that just didn't go as, as planned and didn't go the way we wanted it to. And at first, you know, the parent was really upset because, you know, it's been years and they got a negative call, negative call. And and I I, I reached out to the parent again because I was like, no, I want you to understand this child has been working so hard. This child has been doing so much better than doing meeting a level of expectation that I set high for everyone. And this child is meeting it this year. I'm calling because this one incident has shown that this could be the moment to point out, wait, this happened this day, but look at everything you've been doing. Like you're doing it, even among the days that you struggle, even among the days that it's not the best that you think you can bring to the class. Like you, you're doing it. You're meeting the expectations every other day. This day just wasn't one of them. And to show the parent was like, thank you so much. Like to put that perspective on how that child's year has been going that this contact this one time was purposeful in the intent to say every other time the child's meeting the bar, 
but and you have to point out when you're not. You know, I mean, you have to you have to help when you see a struggle. So it was it was a big deal, and it was a su- very successful year. Well, I think that's a beautiful story because it's, it's on this podcast when we interview teachers that that theme of having that longitudinal experience is something that teachers do miss out on, and that is, I mean, in some realities, it's been identified with kind of a vulnerability that causes kind of um, or that pushes on that empathetic strain because you might start seeing minimal changes by April or May and then the school year the school year is over and that takes a toll on some teachers and so I just think that story was a beautiful example of like even even the power that can exist even within some of the schools that do like multi-grade teaching like it, it's just those opportunities that you get that some others don't that that highlight how how that does matter and and something that could have been really small, like you had the opportunity over a four year span to finally get there with the kid. And then it took, and Mm -hmm. some kids, some kids need that long. So that was an awesome story. I want to recognize our time um, and recognize that you have kicked your family out of the house uh, while we do this. So to your family that is listening to this, thank you. We, We were joking in the beginning, Becky, but within within the family systems of the Pfeiffers, there are a lot of educators. There are a lot of people doing a lot of good work in school systems. And I I think you, you are one of them. Um, and it's always just so cool to hear how you're changing the system, how you're advocating. And so it is, it's an honor that you joined us. Um, I feel very lucky that this, this exists for our family. So, so thank you for doing that. And thank you for giving us your time. It really means a lot. Thanks. I appreciate you inviting me. I, I love the fact that you have created this platform for people to share their background, their stories, their passion for education, for helping students. Uh, you know, that's that's really what we want to do. And we want to do it in a way that helps everyone and helps all students regardless. Um, so it's um, it's great. We, we recognize the issues that, you know, we know exist and we work with our passions to try to figure out how to overcome them or despite them (laughs) and figure out what we can do. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to chat with you. It's great to see you too. Yeah. And thanks, Steve. (laughs) Appreciate you. Yeah. I, I love what you do. Luckily got to experience that as, as a teacher myself and it absolutely works. Yes, it's unfortunately, you know, our episodes are so short, but Grainer, like your own experience of using drama and being, you know, in those theater positions are tried and true by you as a language arts teacher. So it's cool how that all fits together. I will put a shameless plug in here that your your aunts, right? My cousins, your aunts, they're coming to visit my mom. So you should just hop in the car and come to Ames. I think it's in November and now it's live on this podcast. So there is a level of pressure you should feel. (laughs) It's going to happen. All right. It was good to see you. I'll see you. And I'll see you in person sometime. You will figure it out. We'll make it happen. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, 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 I'm KJ Rowe, to the Lindbergh Senior High student intern who edited this episode. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots Educational Consulting Services. Our producer is Jessica Pfeiffer. Our Educational Suspended website is created by Grainer Media. Our production manager is Gina Hansen. And our music provided by Poets Rowe.